This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to a recap of our latest Third Thursday webinar. Hear directly from expert panelists as they discuss Parkinson's research and answer your questions about living with the disease. Join us live next time by registering for an upcoming webinar at michaeljfox.org. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. I am Jimmy Choi. I am a member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2003 at the age of 27. This is my 20th year living with Parkinson's. And along the way, I've learned some valuable lessons about PD through personal experience and participation with many clinical trials. And I have made it my goal to share that knowledge with others. We talk about treatment options all the time, like medication and exercise, but there is a topic that to me at least feels like it's always an afterthought, and that is our diet and our nutrition. I know firsthand how important diet and nutrition is when it comes to managing Parkinson's symptoms. That is why I'm so excited to be joined by this expert panel to discuss one of my favorite things with you all today, eating, wait, no, um, brain health and food. I think everybody understands the importance of healthy eating for not just overall health, but it's even more important for people who live with Parkinson's. And more and more today, we are gaining the understanding of how healthy eating can boost your brain health. If you have Parkinson's or if you're worried that you might get it, so our panelists today will discuss ways of improving our brain health through diet. And let me begin by introducing our panelists. First, we have Rochelle Flanagan. Rochelle is a CORU state registered dietitian who has been a practicing dietitian for 19 years. She is also a World Parkinson's Congress ambassador and committee member of the Dublin branch of the Parkinson's Association of Ireland. She is particularly passionate about the unmet needs of women with Parkinson's. She recently co-authored a paper on the unmet needs of women with PD. She's also a co-founder of the Women's Parkinson's Project and co-founder of a startup, My Move Matters, a digital self-care companion to meet specific needs of women living with Parkinson's. We also have joining us Aaron Fassant. Aaron is a board certified neurologist and fellowship trained movement disorder specialist with a certification in culinary medicine. Dr. Fassant has experience working in the academic environment as well as, as well as in private practice. Now having co-owned her own movement disorder practice, she has experience in clinical trials as well and enjoys being a part of the research. Erin has founded the Medicine of Yum, I love that name, her new virtual culinary medicine endeavor. She is passionate about empowering her patients and feels that culinary medicine is the way to do that. Erin is also the co-author with Rachel Dullum from the, from, the, from the Michael J. Fox Foundation on the newest diet guide, Brain Food, Eating Well If You Have Parkinson's or Worried You Might Get It. And finally, we have Am Amber Fechter. Amber is a occupational therapist who received her bachelor's degree in health sciences and double minor in health and history from Bradley University. Her master's is in occupational therapy from the University of St. Augustine, and she is a doctorate in occupational therapy also from the University of Augustine. She has special interest in neurologic conditions, low vision, uh, lymphedema, and she holds certifications as a certified brain injury specialist and is an impact trained occupational therapist. 
She is also the occupational therapy uh, practice resource at Brooks Rehab, uh, Rehab Hospital in Bethan Park. Now, let's get, the, get right into the meat of things, right? Now, diet is important for everybody, but especially for people with Parkinson's and those who are at risk for developing it. Diet can uh, help manage some symptoms. We aren't you know, sure, no, we aren't 100% sure yet, but it may uh, slow the progression of Parkinson's disease. And especially with what we have heard, you know, what we've learned about the gut in recent years, it may also potentially uh, prevent disease altogether for, for those at risk. Now, personally, I think nutrition was one of the hardest part for me to dial in. You know, challenges around finding what works for me in terms of medication and treatment, exercise, and mindset was tough enough, but nutrition was really the hardest for me to figure out from trying to understand how food interacts with medication to how my body is being fueled uh, for physical activity, everything in between, plus the added challenges of finding something sustainable. Uh, Rochelle, you know, what are your experiences as a person with Parkinson's uh, and, and diet? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic uh, that I'm a dietitian and, and diagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, and um, I suppose when I was, was diagnosed, I actually picked it up when I was in my clinic with a, a patient who'd come back to see me. And that's how I picked up my micrographia through the writing in, in the, the record card. But, um, you know, as a dietitian, I always would be advising, you know, patients with cancer, diabetes, heart disease to, you know, to look into the information to connect with your local Parkinson's group, you know, to get support. And what I noticed was, you know, there was lots of information with regard to exercise, but there was very little about diet. And when I researched into it myself, um, I really realized that, you know, diet has a huge impact from beginning to end, regardless of age and stage of Parkinson's. Um, so there's a, there's a huge dearth of information and, and support for people with Parkinson's. So for me, um, it's it's about continuing on in terms of having a healthy diet. Um, for me personally, one of the, the core things is I had low blood pressure. So it was actually uh, adjusting that. I didn't realize low blood pressure um, was associated with Parkinson's. Um, in terms of timing of meds, been very important, keeping a regular bowel. I actually have celiac disease. So, um, you know, making sure that I get the nutrients that sometimes can be missing when you're on a gluten-free diet. Um, that doesn't mean that people with Parkinson's have to be on a gluten-free diet. So what I would say is that there is so many elements of, of diet that are not been uh, provided to people with Parkinson's that would definitely help uh, monitor their, moderate their symptoms and potentially slow progression. Yeah, thank you. And I think there's a, you know, something that you said is very important here is that uh, diet is going to be important for people of all ages, no matter uh, you know when they were diagnosed or what stage of Parkinson's they are living with. Um, and, and even for those who are at risk and may not be diagnosed with Parkinson's today. Uh, and the second thing is from both you and from you, you and me are from both of our perspectives, uh, you know, and you just mentioned that it seems like that diet is is something that's very difficult to figure out because there's not a lot of information out there. So hopefully we'll be able to shed a little bit of light on that um, today. Now, when it comes to diets, right, or what to eat, two of the most mentioned diets when it comes to Parkinson's is the Mediterranean diet and the mind diet. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us how similar they are or how different they are? Yeah, so uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but the, the MIND diet is a Mediterranean DASH intervention for neurodegenerative delay uh, diet. And um, 
basically the DASH diet is the dietary approach to stop hypertension. So they kind of combine these two diets uh, to improve, uh, you know, brain health and Alzheimer's in, in particular. Um, and then you've got the Mediterranean style diet. Um, and really the two of them are very similar. Um, it's, it's basically, if you think of going on holidays to the likes of Greece or France or, you know, Spain, you'd have a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables, you'd have a lot of seafood, white fish, oily fish, and you would have a lot of olive oil. Um, and in terms of, you know, fruits, you'd have, you know, fruits as well. You don't see, you know, when you're on holidays in, in France, you don't see loads of corner shops selling loads of, you know, sweets and, you know, chocolate. And, you know, it's, it's not something that's a mainstay of, of their diet. Um, but in terms of the, the core difference is that the mind diet tends to have more focus on the berries in terms of the fruit. And interestingly enough, there has been a research study that has shown that specifically berries may be associated with slowing Parkinson's. Um, so that's in terms of, you know, your, I just have a little sort of demo here. So your blueberries, uh, to be your strawberries, your blackberries, you know, all the different sort of rich colored berries and taking them in, uh, you know, a good couple of times a week. And you, you can use frozen as well as fresh. Mm -hmm. It's no problem. Um, so that, that is a big difference. Also, the other thing is in terms of mind diet, they sort of advise to sort of steer away from uh, butter, cheese, um, and they have a you know, focus on the, the olive oil as well. Um, in terms of dairy, you know, they don't kind of give guidelines so much in terms of the dairy in the mind diet. In the Mediterranean diet, they would just say a moderate intake, um, but they don't sort of focus on that you, you know, should cut out cheese and, and butter. So that'll be the difference between the two of them. Um, it's quite subtle. What I would say is the research is quite intriguing. Uh, more recently, the papers I've read, the mind diet is, you know, if you're sort of having a race, the mind is kind of leading at the moment. Um, and uh, there was a paper that was, was done actually out of a UK research study that showed that um, actually women benefited more from the mind diet um, and than men did, and men seem to benefit a little bit more from Mediterranean. So I think rather than getting complex about it, it's basically, you know, focusing in on the, the core healthy eating foods, which is your fruit and veg, your whole grains, which help to nourish the microbiome, the gut bacteria that you're mentioning, then taking in the, the fruit and the berries that have the anti-inflammatory things that help against Parkinson's and the olive oil also that has a benefit and then there is a fat in, in the fish that also is potentially beneficial for uh, people with Parkinson's. So, you know, a combination of those foods, uh, whether it's the mind diet or the Mediterranean, um, is going to be beneficial for you and your Parkinson's, but also for other conditions you might have, which is quite common in Parkinson's, diabetes, heart disease and cancer. No, thank you for that. And and what's in one very important point you brought up, as I, I think you're you're just starting to... Uh, to to bring into light, you know, some of these how these are similar and some how they're different. But one thing I think I, we should emphasize from what you just told us, and I agree with you, is that um, between men and women, uh, it could be very different, right? Uh, just because of how our body our, our bodies are, and it just can be it can vary 
what works for one person may not work for the other person, you know. Absolutely. And you've got to, to take into account that, you know, younger people with Parkinson's are going to be maybe doing more exercise into, mm -hmm. you know, training. So that's going to require different, you know, in terms of protein and carbohydrates. And then you've got women in terms of their, whether they're premenopausal or postmenopausal is going to impact in terms of their dietary needs as well. So there are those subtle differences that we, we kind of do need to take into account. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, whenever we talk about food and nutrition, people always, you know, think almost to the quote unquote the obvious, right? Which is it makes your body stronger and better. But really, everything starts up here in your in, in your brain. So, you know, um, Aaron, can you tell us why diet is important when it comes to brain health? Yeah, of course. I mean, so it's funny because, you know, for so long, we've known how much diet impacts our cardiovascular health and things like um, diabetes. And it's just been really more recently that the idea that what you put into your body can actually affect your brain health too. Um, and of course, if you really stop and think about it, it's kind of like, yeah, of course it would affect my brain, right? And, um, you know, anything that we're eating can can be good for our body or bad for our body or somewhere in between, right? But but um, diet really affects our brain by um, increasing inflammation, we think. Um, it affects our gut microbiome, which um, there's a bunch of research going on right now about how that might affect um, our brain health as well. And, um, you know, it. I think that these, the Mediterranean and the MIND diet, um, I think Rochelle did a really great job of kind of breaking them down. And I think that they both really highlight the need for these whole foods, less processed foods, as those processed foods are what we really be contributing to um, this this brain inflammation that's likely contributing to um, cognitive decline and and neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, for instance. So, um, just as exercise is important for your cardiovascular health and diabetes, but also your brain health, food is as well. Great, thank you. And, you know, we have really just started to scratch the surface here. So uh, for the audience that, that is watching and listening, um, I want to plant a seed here, as I think all of you out there listening and watching should ask yourselves this question as we move forward along to these topics. And the question is, how do you determine what is the best diet for you? Okay. And, and that's your your initial answer to that for yourself might change as we go along through this entire uh, webinar here. So panelists, um, if if people are out there are asking themselves that question, how do you determine what's the best diet for you? Um, do you have one tip that you can give to the audience as they start to think about this for themselves? Erin, um, I'll start with you. Yeah, when I work with people, my you know my thought is you've got to do what you're going to be able to do, right? So um, if somebody tells you, you know, you have to cut out all sugar and all plant or animal-based products um, to somebody who has a very um, American type of diet, they may be able to do that for a little bit of time, but they're not going to be able to sustain that. And so then that diet isn't helpful at all. So um, my, you know, and the way I've worked it in my family too is, is make small changes um, add things to your diet, like vegetables and, and be less concerned about like pulling things out and, and really restricting. And you'll see that slowly as you add these, these other components like vegetables and fruits and more whole grains, 
um, those other components kind of fall off without ever feeling like you're you're like restricting yourself and, and having to be on this strict diet. Thank you. Um, Amber, how about you? I would have to say as well as um, a diet that's going to be easy enough for you to be able to replicate over time. Um, so that way you're able to follow it, but also something um, being able to have like those hopefully like locally sourced products um, that are near you. So seasonal fruits and vegetables, especially adding that into your diet rather than having to only eat the frozen foods um, that might be available at the grocery store um, and just experimenting and finding different ways that you enjoy being able to eat what it is that you find, um, whether it's steaming vegetables or, you know, like cooking them in something, finding new ways and just experimenting and having fun with the food that you're trying for the first time. Thank you. Rochelle, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I have two things, but I'm going to say one. Um, I think what I find in terms of helping behavior change is actually having a look at what you're doing currently. So I always advise people to do a little food diary. And, you know, do it over, say, five days, you know, a weekend and three weekdays consecutively, because we all change our eating habits, you know, weekend to the week. So everyone's good during the week, maybe, and then they blow it all at the weekend. Um, so I think that's a, you know, it's a bit like the bank balance. If you're not checking what's going in, what's going out, you can't really balance the books. So in terms of the same with diet, it's, you know, looking, and, and the word diet, I hate because people always think of weight loss, but it's actually the diet is the type of meat foods you eat. So what can be quite useful is to just do that and just watch what you do, observe what you normally eat, and also to put in your symptoms, your Parkinson's, and see when do they tend to fluctuate in the day? And do you notice any pattern? Maybe put in some of your bowel symptoms. Do you have constipation? You know, what things are going on? And then you can, you know, compare your, your diet to a healthy eating diet or to the Mediterranean style diet. Now there's the eat well plate in the States and it is based on healthy eating. Okay. And trying to keep out the processed food, but then you can start looking back to the point of Amber and Aaron and saying, Oh, I, I noticed I don't actually eat fruit at all, or I don't eat any veg. And then you can start and, and just pick one, you know, maximum three things that you might say, and start with the low hanging fruit, no pun intended, um, you know, in terms of the easy things, to bring in. But I think by actually looking at what you're doing really helps you to make the changes. Yeah, that's very good. I think, you know, some of the, the keys that are kind of across the board is, is you know, make it easy for yourself, right? Um, make it sustainable, uh, make it ac accessible, uh, add foods that you have easy access to. And then, of course, make it repeatable so that, it, you know, you don't fall out of, if it's not repeatable, it's, if it's difficult, you fall out of that pattern to try to change your, um, your, what you're trying to do with your diet. And I'm just gonna add one more, and this is a big one for me because uh, you know, uh, initially when I started my own health uh, change journey with living with Parkinson's, uh, I was told to, to just, like, uh, just like Aaron said, you know, cut out all the sugar and all that, but no, don't, don't ever use food uh, as a punishment. Don't think of, you know, eating a donut as, oh man, I got to go run three miles to burn that off. So, you know, that's, I think that's for me, from a personal perspective, I think it's a, that's something to think about as well. Now, uh, thank you guys for all, for, for those. Uh, as we dive deeper, uh, naturally, the question comes up is, you know, what foods should we incorporate, right? I think that's a, a, a very natural progression into what we're, what we're discussing here. So Rochelle, as a dietitian, can you give us some tips on what yep. and why certain foods should be incorporated? So I have a little 
demonstration here of food. So in terms of uh, whole grains, so getting in sort of your your whole grain food. So it'll be your whole grain uh, pastas. I don't know if you can see that. So basically what I would say to you is that if your plate is very white in terms of your foods and you look at it and it's looking very white, it's probably low in whole grains. So your whole grain pastas, your whole grain rices, um, your whole grain breads, and also trying different grains, like uh, things like, uh, I don't know if you can see that, quinoa, which is a really lovely grain to use, buckwheat, uh, you know, various different grains. And then the other thing is getting in, uh, going back to the, the Mediterranean diets, a core part of it is your pulses. Um, so things like your uh, haricot beans, your lentils, um, these are all good uh, foods to eat. And in terms of, you'll see here that I have a tin of, uh, of um, pulses. You can use tinned. Ideally, best if you can choose the organic, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to budget. Um, you can, obviously, the best form is to steep your, your, uh, your pulses uh, overnight, but there's a bit more sort of uh, work involved with it. Um, so in terms of whole grains, and, and uh, you know, really important because a lot of people with Parkinson's suffer from, as I say, bowel up to 60% have, you know, constipation. It's really important to kind of keep the, the bowel uh, moving. So I'm just conscious you might want to ask the others. So I don't know whether you want to pass and I can do more. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so we talked about what foods incorporate now. Are there certain foods that uh, we should avoid? Well, one of the, the, the big ones is, and it's not avoid. I think we really need to, you know, back to your point of, you know, there's no good or bad diet. It's what's healthy and less healthy for you. So there's a kind of a spectrum of healthy to less healthy, you know, um, and really the sugars are, you know, the ones to be mindful of. And one of the things, particularly in people with Parkinson's is uh, because it affects dopamine, um, people tend to have a sort of, um, when they sort of going off, they want to pick themselves up and sugary foods, you know, have this tendency to maybe feel like they're picking up their, their dopamine. Uh, fatigue is a big symptom. So we go to the sugary foods, to try and, you know, boost us up. So I think it's important to kind of look at if you have cravings for sugars is to actually look again, if you do a food diary, you can see your patterns, you know, are you going off? Are you getting tired? So then you can actually say, okay, I know what's happening. I'm going to actually have, you know, something different, like, you know, mixed nuts and olives, for example, as a, as a snack, or you would drink something like um, a um, lime juice, which is kind of sweet, but doesn't really go well with sweet sort of foods. So in terms of the, the sugars, they tend to have a kind of pro-inflammatory impact. And also one of the key things is that they potentially are feeding the less healthy bacteria in the gut, which is higher in people with Parkinson's. So people with Parkinson's have to be really aware of the whole food cravings issue. Uh, we know in, there was one study that showed that women with Parkinson's actually had a higher level of food addiction and tendency to binge eating than men with Parkinson's. Uh, and if you find that that is something that you're really having struggles with, you really need to get a referral to a dietitian to really help you manage that and not to be ashamed about it. It's, it's a bit like, you know, impulse control disorders that people are, uh, you know, and basically food addiction fits into that. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, I just as you're, you're, you're talking about that, I myself, I, I think I, I fall into a little bit of, of that um, whenever those, those cravings hit. And that, I do notice that it comes more so during off times later at night mm -hmm. for myself. And, you know, I know I wear these shirts as a, as a joke, like power by junk food. Um, but, I, you know, 
that's at, at some level that this this lies true for me because um i do even for myself i think i i, I can do better and uh, from that perspective and uh so i think that's very important for people to to come out to the open and admit it to themselves first because um it is tough right? especially when we're sitting in front of the television with like three cookies in front of our yeah. in front of our that's from again personal experience and i think um, you, you've got to, to so take into account that you know people who don't have parkinson's really struggle with reducing sugary foods. And we have a lack of dopamine. That's an extra barrier for us. Yeah. So I think you're right. You have to be kind to yourself, but I think you need to get that help if you're struggling. And there are ways that you can bolster up. And a lot of people fear being hungry if they think they have to cut out. But when you bulk up on, on the really good foods, you can actually, it's amazing the amount of people who realize that actually they're not as hungry as they thought they'd be. Especially men have a real fear of hunger. <laughs> And I can attest to that. And you're right. Eating the right foods can definitely help curb that feeling of uh, of needing to eat. So, you know, over the years, I've also, you know, I've, I've talked to many people who have had success with diet and Parkinson's. I noticed that something in common is that the only thing in common is that they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some obvious factors could be availability of foods in, in regions like we've already talked about. Um, but what are some contributing factors? And I'm going to pose this question to uh, to, to Aaron. Um, contributing factors to the diet that somebody might choose? Yes, contributing or... factors to, to, to why everybody's different. You know, why? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's such a good point. I love that because, um, you know, when people hear like Mediterranean diet, they think, oh, okay, I'll try the, the food from Italy or Greece or, or um, you know, someplace else in the Mediterranean, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be eating that food, right? You can just incorporate the components of a Mediterranean diet, which are really eating um, a certain amount of vegetables and a certain amount of fruit and legumes and nuts. And all of these things, if you actually look around the world um, from many different cultures, these types of foods are incorporated in many different different um, cultures. So, you know, if, if your background is from not from the Mediterranean and you like other flavors, that's completely okay. Um, you know, and I think that that's a big contributing factor to why some people don't even want to try the Mediterranean diet. It's like, well, I don't like falafel, so I'm not going to, I don't want to eat it, you know? And um, it's really not about um, the, the Mediterranean food. It's about a, a kind of a, a type of eating where we're really eating more um, nutrient-rich foods and reducing um, more of the foods that we see in kind of this this Americanized type of diet. So make, yeah. you know, when you're thinking about what kind of food you want to eat, make it your own. Use your own spices. Use the vegetables that, you know, are from the part of the world that you like. If you aren't, you know, so keen on bananas, but you love papaya, great. You know, let's do it. <laughs> eat that, you know, but you got to, um, definitely eat the food that speaks to you. Um, that, that is the, the healthier food for your body. Yeah. And that's a great point. I, I think that, I think that the bottom line is, is, is to make it your own. Um, and at the end of the day, it's about what you're taking in, not necessarily, uh, not, except, not necessarily the types of food you are eating to get what you need into your body. Mm -hmm. Um, so just uh, so for everybody to, to, to know that, you know, if you guys want to learn more uh, about the specifics uh, and learn more about the foundation's new diet guide, uh, there's a link in the resource list uh, available in this webinar 
Um, and you guys can click on that link and get to the uh, the diet guide, which is food, once again, it's called brain food, eating well if you have Parkinson's or worry that you might get it. And once again, Aaron is a co-author uh, on that with, along with the Fox Foundation's uh, Rachel Dillon. So the very next question that uh, that we always get into, you know, what a, is that this is all great, you know, we're all going to eat, eat, eat well and healthy, but how can eating well help me with my symptoms? So Aaron, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you on this one. Okay, yeah, I you know, and and when I when I talk to people with Parkinson's, I have to recognize that you know, just as Rochelle mentioned, um, with the sugar component. Uh, people with Parkinson's are dealing with so many other issues too going on in their bodies. So it's not just talking about, um, you know, reducing sugar and, and that's hard enough for a person without Parkinson's. But, um, you know, when you're dealing with constipation or possibly low blood pressure or swelling problems or smell loss and, and all these other things that are going on with your body, um, even depression and, and fatigue, um, it can be really hard to think, Seriously, now I have to do something with my food too, you know? Um, so one of the, you know, um, as Rochelle mentioned, most people actually struggle with constipation, most people with Parkinson's. And um, there are a few things that you can do that can help. Um, certainly these aren't a, a miracle cure, but they can help. And of course, drinking a lot of water, I think um, at least a lot of people that I work with definitely don't drink water or definitely don't feel like they want to drink water. Um, so tend to go towards other drinks, like maybe sugary drinks um, or a caffeinated drink. And caffeine is fine. Um, actually, there have been a number of studies with brain health and things that show um, that, that suggest maybe caffeine is actually fine for, for brain health. Um, so if you like your cup of coffee in the morning, go ahead and do that. But but you also need to be drinking water um, because that's how our gut actually moves and, and will help with that constipation. Eating more fiber. So if you think about what we're talking about with the Mediterranean and mind diets, that fiber can come so much from those vegetables and fruit that you add to your diet. Um, and you would be surprised at how much more fiber you'll end up eating um, when you start bringing those things in. Um, and then making smaller meals. So some people with Parkinson's may actually have a decreased appetite because of this um, lack of movement of their gut. Um, and so kind of making smaller meals throughout the day rather than eating three big meals um, or what we what we talk about with, um, with eating, it can actually help with that constipation. So you may be actually able to get in a little bit more fiber um, throughout the day. Of course, if you're still really struggling, you know, um, getting a referral to a, a GI doctor or somebody can also help. Um, in, in general, the you know we don't necessarily recommend taking probiotics unless that's been suggested by a doctor um, that is treating you. Um, and the prebiotics, which is really that fiber you get from those good fruits and vegetables, are very very important for our gut health. Um, Another thing that people struggle with is low blood pressure, as Michelle mentioned. Um, and this can become worse for some people as they move through the disease and later on in the disease. Um, again, here, the hydration is super important. Um, you know, if you, if you really dislike plain water, you can drink some sparkling water. You can add just a little bit of fruit juice um, to plain water. Let's say you have an orange or a 
grapefruit. We don't want to necessarily drink a bunch of juice, but adding a little bit to water can be helpful so that you're not so bored with, with just plain water. Um, this is one time where you'll hear a doctor say that you should add salt to your food uh, if you're really struggling with that low blood pressure. Having something like salted nuts or something like that to snack on can be helpful to boost that blood pressure up. In this situation, you will want to limit alcohol. Alcohol can cause that blood pressure to drop. And in general, um, you know, alcohol is always a topic that, that people ask about. It can be um, dangerous in Parkinson's in that you're already, you might already be struggling with gait or balance problems, and alcohol can certainly make that worse. So you do want to be very careful. Um, more and more literature is coming out on the effects of alcohol and on the brain, um, and it's it's um, really kind of all over the place in the literature. So I'm gonna just say limit your alcohol and uh, we could probably do a whole webinar on alcohol and, and how it affects the brain and body. Um, and then again, here you wanna eat smaller meals. So you're constantly putting something into your body and, and increasing, um, increasing uh, that blood pressure over time rather than these huge bursts where um, it, you might get this this rise in your blood pressure and then a, a quick drop. I'm going to move to smell loss first because then um, I think Amber will have some great input on these swallowing problems or, or um, discussion about that. So um, smell loss can certainly make you your you have appetite loss and this can actually come um, up to 20 years before you're diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So um, smell loss makes you your food seem bland. Um, you can do things like adding spice. You want to try to um, not add salt, right? So use other spices besides salt. Um, you can uh, try, uh, you know, spicy food or sour food, and definitely using different textures of food. You know, like the quinoa is a great example that Michelle was talking about. It adds some texture to food, or adding nuts on a salad or or things like that can can really create um this or make your food seem more appetizing and we eat with our eyes right so if your food doesn't look great then you probably won't want to eat it i mean if you just have like a plate of like brown food you're gonna be like Ugh. you know and especially if you can't smell it um it's gonna be even worse so it does matter what you put on your plate it doesn't have to be you know look like michelin star looking pinterest perfect just make it look good for you, you know, um, and you don't need to post it on social media or anything, but, um, you know, make it, make it exciting to your eyes. Um, another thing that people with, with Parkinson's can struggle with are maybe swallowing problems. Um, this is going to be very specific to you and your disease. And, um, there may be, um, things that you can do to help with your swallowing problems. You, you probably need to go ahead and get a a swallowing evaluation to really learn um, what is the right way for you to be eating. You know, just saying, oh, if you have swallowing problems, you need to have a pureed diet is not necessarily the right thing um, and actually could be harmful to you. So um, make sure that you are getting evaluated for that if you feel like maybe you're having some swallowing problems. And in fact, sometimes we don't even know you're having swallowing problems. So a swallowing study is often a, a good thing to go ahead with um as you're being evaluated by by your doctor 
Thank you. Uh, and you know, since we're on, you know, on just really quickly on the topic of, of swallowing, um, you know, a Amber, I know we are going to uh, cover some adaptive strategies here in, in the next few minutes, but just since we're on the topic of, of, um, of swallowing, um, are there some strategies uh, that you, you, you think um, you can add into, into this current conversation here that can help uh, those who are already wondering about swallowing? Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the biggest things is that um, as um, people are aging in general, whether they have Parkinson's disease or not, they tend to um, maybe take the same size bites as what they did before. So making sure that you're cutting your food smaller into smaller pieces, like especially if you're eating meat, for instance, like chicken or fish, um, taking those really smaller bites, taking the time to chew slowly, that's not only gonna help you be able to taste the food that you're actually eating, like what Aaron was talking about with the loss of um, smell, but it's gonna allow that extra saliva in your mouth to help moisten it so that way it goes down easier. Um, another thing that could um, be helpful is doing what we call a chin tuck. So um, it's literally, and we normally have our, our uh, chin and jaw kind of forward. It's actually tucking it back. So while you're actually swallowing, it would be something as simple as that. Um, another thing could be also um, alternating bites with um, whatever you're drinking. So if you're eating something, um, take the bite, swallow it as like the whole way, um, and then take a sip of whatever it is that you're drinking. Um, so that way it really helps to force um, the food down, but also keeps your mouth moist. So that way like you can enjoy the next bite because having saliva is actually one of the best ways that we can actually taste our food. So having a dry mouth is going to make the taste not as good as what it could be. Another thing would be actually avoiding straws. So um, especially my patients that have Parkinson's disease, they love having straws because it makes it easier to manage cups depending on the weight of them. But find a cup size that actually, or glass or mug, whatever it works best for you, having something that you can manage even if it's full. Um, so that way you can avoid using straws. Straws increase the risk of aspiration or something going down the wrong pipe which is not good for anyone, much less somebody with Parkinson's that oftentimes has compromised respiratory function as well because um, wow. it makes it harder to cough it back up. Um, so kind of along those same lines with the risk of aspiration and or something going down the wrong pipe, like Aaron was talking about is, so the journey for somebody with Parkinson's is entirely different. Um, so you have some people that never develop swallowing problems or some people that get them pretty quickly and easily like um, recognizing them. So some things to look out for is that if you notice that you cough after you drink something, especially, or if you cough when you're eating, that's probably a good sign that something is not right going on in the structures of your throat or it's not going down the right way. Another thing to also be thinking about is that if you're having a conversation with someone, if you're having dinner with someone, after you take a bite of food or after you take a sip of something and swallow, if when you're talking, um, your voice sounds wet or kind of gargly, um, that's a good sign that something is, again, not right and that you should talk to your physician to try to get a referral made for a swallowing evaluation. So that way it keeps you um, safer in terms of like your ultimate swallowing. Another thing to consider too is choosing some like foods that are softer, um, like just overall something like if 
you know, like you really love carrots, for instance, you don't have to eat them raw steam them, cut them so they're smaller bites so that way you can actually get them down easier. Just removing the factor of what could be difficult for you um, makes life easier. Thank you. And, you know, um, I, as you were talking there, I was trying that, tucking the chin back, swallowing. Um, and it does make a difference. I had never even thought about that. And I was never taught that before. So thank you for that. I learned something new today. And, and also actually, with, the, with the straw, uh, I, I, I would have never thought that a straw would be, um, I don't want to say negative, but it could it, it, it could uh, bring a higher risk um, when it comes to using a straw. I never would have thought about that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking at all of these different, uh, uh, um, you know, symptoms that, that people with Parkinson's have to deal with. And we talked about um, the, in, in this entire section, you know, one of the things that, that touches me the most is, um, is, is a loss of smell. I actually lost uh, my sense of smell. Um, gee, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember when was the last time I was able to smell. Um, you know, I've, uh, you know, especially I, I lost my sense of smell before COVID made it a, a, a cool thing, right? Uh, no, it's not really that cool. It sucks, but, you know, not being able to enjoy my food because of the lack of scent uh, is terrible because I'm a, I'm a food guy. I, I do all the cooking in the house. Um, but I have come, uh, it, the, the biggest problem for me is that I've become the, the default go-to guy to clean up messes in the house when the kids or the dog gets sick. Um, but, you know, on, on, on the topic of smell loss, I just wanted to take one quick second here to call out that um, the Michael J. Fox Foundation has, uh, has, has a landmark research study, on, and we want to understand uh, those who have Parkinson's and those who don't, we want to understand more why. So the study is, so Michael J. Fox Foundation is offering a, a smell study. Um, we are offering a scratch test, a scratch and sniff test free to anyone um, ages 60 and up without Parkinson's in the United States and Canada. Uh, if you guys would look, if you guys would like to participate uh, in that resource, uh, in, in that in that study, please click on the link to the resource list and you'll find all the information where you can uh, sign up and get your free smell tests. Uh, it's very important, um, you know, as, as, as we, the more data we can get, um, the better information we have uh, to get to, to some of the answers that we're all been looking for. But back to the conversation here, let's talk about uh, simple things that you can do today to make changes. Um, and then uh, if we have time, some less simple changes, right? We can get into those too. Uh, people often ask me, you know, how do, how, for example, like how do I optimize um, medications uh, based on diet? Um, Aaron, can you uh, talk about uh, how diet can affect Parkinson's drugs and medication, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. So one of the most common medications that people with Parkinson's are put on is um, Cinemat, or it's also known as Carbidopa slash Levodopa, um, a super long name. So. This is one of the, the medications where your food can interact with the medication. Um, the, the protein of your food and the medication bind to the same receptor in your gut. And so if you've just eaten a bunch of protein and then you take your medication, you will not be absorbing that medication. Now, there are about 10% of um, people with Parkinson's who, who are very, very sensitive to this interaction. I mean, I have had patients tell me, if I have a teaspoon of peanut butter 
anywhere, you know, within two hours of my medication, I, I, I freeze, you know, and can't move. So, um, you may notice like, why didn't that dose of my medication work as well as it did before? Um, and it could be this protein interaction. So depending on how many times a day you're needing to take your carbidobolivodopa, um, you may have to adjust your meals around that. Um, sometimes the, you know, having a more protein loaded meal in the evening um, is something that people can do because then, you know, if you're just going to bed, you may not need to be quite as um, mobile as during the day. Um, if you're taking medication three times a day, you know, just usually we say an hour before or an hour after your levodopa dose um, that, that you can have your, your meal. Um, but this is going to be personal for, for each person, um, and, and it is a little bit different. If you're on a dopamine agonist like Requip or Ropinerol, um, those types of drugs, they don't actually require any special type of diet. Um, you can have an impulse control disorder with those drugs, however, that may cause you to want to eat a bunch of um, sweets or, or alcohol or, or any, any of these other things, but that's a little bit of a different issue. Um, drugs like an MAOB inhibitor like selegiline, um, some people are put on these drugs, and there is an interaction with something called tyramine. Um, however, you know, the tyramine interaction, you would probably need to be eating quite a bit of tyramine to see this interaction, but it is there. And tyramine is found in, in strong cheeses, like blue cheese and really aged cheeses, um, homebrewed beer or tap beer, um, cured meats, which um, you should probably be staying away from anyway, and um, things like Marmite, which may not be super popular here in the United States, but I, uh, other places, it's super popular. Um, so there are foods that are higher in tyramine that you may want to avoid or, or limit um, as much as you can. I think I'm glad you, you mentioned Marmite uh, and we talked about smell earlier. That's a very pungent oh, uh, food. And I've had a chance to try that maybe probably three or four years ago. And that was one of the first few times where I was able to get a, a hint of something. Yeah. Um, so, so I was, I was glad for it. It, it, you know, again, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's an acquired taste. Uh, I didn't acquire it myself, but I was, I was very happy to be able to grab a, a whiff or a scent of something. But okay. go back, going back to uh, your point about uh, how uh, protein and, and medication. Uh, I myself um, have had that issue, and uh, for me, I find it. And this again, this is a personal thing for me. I find it um, better to take your medicine. Um, and then take the protein. Um, so I take your medicine first, wait an hour, and then uh, and then eat your protein uh, mm -hmm. or have protein-rich uh, meal. And then to Rochelle's point, you know, having that log about the food that you're eating and how it interacts with your medication and how you're feeling, it's also very important to help you identify whether or not protein is actually affecting your absorption of um, of, of of your medication. And, you know. and, you know, one thing about people sometimes say, oh, my medication makes me nauseated. I need to eat it with food or, or things like that. Um, and that may be true. If you are taking your levodopa with food, try to make it a less protein-rich food. Um, you, you know, you don't want to necessarily take it with um, a hamburger, you know, try to make it with um, a piece of toast or, or something like that. So the Nazi is not as bad. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I forgot to include that. <laughs> no, and that's great because, you know, a 10, 10 ounce ribeye sounds pretty good. 
yeah. uh, with every dose of medication. Um, you know, so, you know, Rochelle, I just want to turn to you real quick um, mm -hmm. and, and we'll probably should move on to the next topic here. But uh, what are some helpful hints uh, to healthier eating from your perspective? Um, well, I suppose in, in, in terms of, I suppose you're, when you're talking there about sort of symptoms and manage them, I suppose just touching on Aaron sort of saying nausea, something that people need to think about is, is on, uh, Parkinson's can slow the gut as well. Um, and it can slow the movement of food out of the stomach. So you can get a thing called gastroparesis, which basically is a slowing of the, the stomach emptying. So if you're getting nausea a lot, that's something that you need to talk to your neurologist about. Uh, also in terms of um, timing around your meds. So you'd often say after a meal, one to two hours. The reason there's kind of like a range is that if you're going to have a three-course meal, it's obviously going to have a lot more protein and potentially fats in it, which slow the emptying of the stomach and what happens is the tablet gets basically it stays longer in the stomach and it actually gets more broken down so you have less uh, of it that's going to be absorbed so <clears throat> just be mindful of those kind of large meals and if you're planning going out for an occasion you might need to just be a little bit more planned around your your medication um i think the other thing just in terms of the the point around the the protein redistribution diet which so when some people have lots of fluctuations during the day we sometimes advise them and there's, there has been some very good um, results from people going on those diets. But just to say that um, you have to make sure you get the, the, the required protein amount in the day to keep your muscles strong and to stop you from losing weight. So not to attempt that kind of a diet on your own. Ideally, you better do it under the counsel of your neurologist or, or a dietitian to watch your any weight loss. Because one of the worst things you can do for Parkinson's is lose a lot of weight such that, uh, you know, you get underweight and uh, that's not good for Parkinson's. So uh, I would kind of keep an eye on, on your, your weight in terms of, of, of that as well. And just lastly, in terms of um, timing of meds, and it's something that actually only just recently um, I've written a paper with um, Induced in Romanian and Carly Roosh, who's a, a dietitian in the States uh, who focus on Parkinson's. And just looking at that protein interaction, there are some people who actually um, they might have some worsening of their symptoms when they separate their meds from their meals in terms of dyskinesia. So it's just, it's, it's quite an individual thing and you need to talk to your uh, neurologist. But again, if you track that, you know, and then you'll, you'll be able to have a better conversation with your neurologist, give them the information so they can actually define what's going on for you. Thank you. And that's a, that's a very important tip at the end uh, is, is tracking everything and bringing that information to, uh, to, to your visits. Um, for obvious reasons, right? You tend, I, I myself, when I'm sitting in front of my MDS, uh, I tend to forget things I want to ask. But if it's written down right in front of you, uh, you won't forget to ask. Well, especially um, when you so, only have one hour a year with your neurologist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely true. Um, so, you know, there, there are more, um, you know, uh, more of these uh, um, healthy uh, uh, eating advice or more with these tips and tricks uh, in that diet guide. Uh, again, it's in that resource list. Um, the fun fact, guys, there are also some uh, easy uh, recipes as well that's included uh, in that diet guide. So we're going to move on now. Uh, Amber, I know we talked a lot about you know, food so far. And, and I want to get more into, into details on non-food related changes right? Re relating to, to diet. Um, so, you know, when it comes to things like, uh, um, you know, meal prepping or, or uh, shopping or, you know, just things around 
not necessarily food itself, but related to eating and, and nutrition, but not necessarily food. Uh, can you give us some advice on how to how to make or uh, obtain healthier foods? Yeah, so one of the biggest thing is knowing where you live and what resources are available. So for instance, like if you have mobility impairments, your gait is um, fascinating or, you know, like any of those types of things that make, make it difficult, like getting through a grocery store easily. There's a lot of grocery stores now that either are doing home delivery services that are for a very small cost um, or that actually would allow you to go to the store itself and they can put the food um, in the trunk. So it's just finding those um, options, but also is um, if there's like a local market that's close by that has locally sourced farmers products, that would be an easier option than having to go to the grocery store, but also finding out if those people would even be willing to make deliveries to your home, for instance. Um, a lot of like, especially where I live here in Florida is we have a lot of farmers markets where if you deliver, if you just ask the the people that run those markets, they're more than willing to deliver the products to your home. Um, so just finding out really what's available to you. Um, those That could be as simple as a Google search, but also usually depending on different organizations that might be in the area, such as Council on Aging, those different organizations like that, they should be able to provide you a list with what options might be in the area. So that kind of goes into like ordering groceries in advance. So making it easier for yourself of planning meals for yourself. Um, so being able to like go with your recipe or something that you might want to try or say, I really like that food. Let me, let me go through the groceries and see what I can find for myself um, to see what would go well together because going into a grocery store can be overwhelming. I myself don't like going into grocery stores. I order most of my groceries online because I end up buying too much and things that I don't actually need, or I go in hungry and I see too many snacks that I want. So, you know, the online shopping for me makes my life easier. So I have an app that I use and I go pick up my groceries. I can choose the time that I actually want to go pick it up. Usually I try to do an, a time where I'm not going to have to sit and wait in my car for too long. Um, so there's lots of those types of options as well. One of them, for instance, it's Instacart. Instacart use, is with multiple grocery stores, but also depending on the area where you are, Kroger does do home deliveries um, after online ordering as well. Um, so that kind of leads us into, you know, like once you actually have your groceries, how are you going to actually be able to prepare them? So we've talked a lot about like the different types of uh, changes that happen with Parkinson's. Each person is unique in what potentially they're facing with their Parkinson's disease. Um, so, but there's a lot of adaptive equipment. So there's adaptive equipment for meal prepping itself, um, such as like adaptive cutting boards using um, Dyson mats, using jar openers, having a rocker knife, like things like that. But then there's actually adaptive equipment to help you actually just feed yourself, um, such as weighted utensils, um, angled utensils, things like that. So um, it really just depends on each person and what they might possibly need. Uh, so it really comes down to figuring out what the barrier is for you. So especially if you have a family member that sees you, um, they can give you insight as well, especially like if you're trying to feed yourself, because a lot of times we don't want to admit that there's a problem or that something is difficult, especially when it comes to something as simple as feeding ourselves. 
but there's a lot of things out there. Just talk to, um, there's a list of resources, but also if you're receiving therapy services, talk to your occupational therapist. They can help make recommendations for you, um, but also they can, you know, actually have you practice different things before you buy something. Thank you, Amber. Um, you know, one thing that I like to add to that is, uh, and, and you said it just right, asking for help is, is difficult, uh, myself included. Um, so I still do a lot of cooking at home. I do actually, I do most of the cooking at home. And if you have to use a knife, and I just want to provide this as an additional tip for everybody out there, if you have to use a knife, make sure it's sharp. Because having a sharp knife uh, not only allows you to cut easier, if you do have an accident with it, it's a cleaner cut, it hurts less. So, um, it, and, and that sounds funny, but it's actually true. It's, it's having true. a sharp knife is actually a safety uh, feature mm -hmm. for that knife itself. Um, but yeah. thank you very much for that. We are running short on time. So I'd like to get to maybe one or two if we have time for uh, questions, because we get a, we got a lot of questions. Hopefully we were able to address a lot of that during during our uh, the topics that we've covered. Um, but um, one of the questions that, that came up, uh, and I'm going to, uh, Rochelle, I'm gonna turn this one to you is that, you know, what about pre and probiotics? Um, are those helpful or what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so yes, they're very helpful in terms of from the food sources. So in terms of your, your prebiotic foods, I just have a little uh, demo here. So in terms of things like your nuts, um, things like leeks, um, your garlic, your onion, you know, are all uh, what we call prebiotic um, foods and they help to nourish the good bacteria so they have something to feed on. And then your probiotics actually include things like actually your yogurts with live um, bacteria in it. So what I would say about actually buying, um, you know, probiotics is that the, the evidence is not strong enough um, yet to advise people to take a specific probiotic strain. And that's because uh, a lot of the standard probiotics that are on the shelf contain a probiotic that in our the people with Parkinson's have a lot of, and they don't know by adding that in whether it's making it worse or making it better. So the jury is still a bit out about that. But I suppose like Aaron sort of mentioned, you know, if you're working with a gastroenterologist who has specific knowledge around a probiotic and, and can sort of uh, monitor you, that's fine, but I wouldn't be taking something off the shelf. I'd be using, you know, foods. And I think that's an important thing in terms of a lot of people got out of the habit of actually cooking. And if you think of the base of, of a lot of cooking is your onion and your garlic, which are key prebiotic foods. So by buying sort of, you know, processed food, you're not always getting uh, that. And, and back to the smell, you know, when you're cooking these kind of foods, they help to stimulate the smell and the saliva. So cooking more is actually going to be better for you. And, and obviously using those adaptive tools to, to help you in whatever way you, you can. Uh, and making it a family affair as well is, is important. I, I, I like that. I like that, making it a family affair. Um, we are coming up on our time uh, now. And uh, so I just want to real quickly to our panelists, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Uh, one last thought from anybody, if you, any of you guys, any of you guys can chime in if, if there's any additional, uh, any one last thought you want to give our audience members. Well, I suppose one of the things I would say is uh, in terms of, you know, people talk about vitamin C being very important for Parkinson's, but I think a vitamin C is vitamin connection. So actually connection and not being isolated. So actually meeting up with people to eat with your family and, and that cultural side is really important to to people with Parkinson's, you know, so having that connection really helps to stimulate your dopamine. So it's not just about the foods, it's about enjoying it with people would be a big message. I love it. I love it. Erin, you, you had something? I was just going to say, um, you know, 
we don't have to make it so complicated. I think when you're first starting on this this journey um, with Parkinson's, or, or even if you've had it for a long time, there's so much that's being thrown at you all the time and new symptoms and I can't do this or I feel like that, or, you know, and, and um, so don't get overwhelmed by it all. Break it down into small, small digestible, no pun intended, or maybe pun is intended, steps, you know, that, that you can actually wrap your head around. Um, don't add more stress to your life um, and and um, just give give up. You know, that's kind of what happens sometimes when we when we force or when we think, oh my gosh, I have to do this and this and this and this. Um, our brains just kind of say, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing anymore, right? So keep it simple. And I love, love, love that, that um, comment by Rochelle about, you know, connecting with other people over food. It's so important. And we really have lost that in the last, few years especially right with the pandemic but Absolutely. but Absolutely. if we can get back to it i'll be so so good yeah yeah keep it simple i love it um last thought amber i would just have to say like kind of rounding back to what rochelle is was even mentioning is make make eating and cooking something that's enjoyable for you um enjoy that quality time with people find ways of trying new things that you enjoy it might not be everybody's taste but if you like it then just try it, you know, um, enjoy that meal. I love it. Thank you guys. All right, we are out of time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you again for being part of our community and for joining us today. Uh, one more thanks to our panelists for sharing your time and expertise. Thank you very much and have a great day, everybody. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.